Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton. And we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. Today's episode is number 20 out of a 50-part series that will be based around a crime in each state in the United States of America in alphabetical order, which means today's case will be based on a crime in Maryland. Without any further ado, we have Anton officially back on production for his regularly broadcasted jokes. Take it away. Okay, Mariah. Why couldn't the sailor learn his alphabet? Okay, why couldn't the sailor learn the alphabet? His alphabet, but yeah. His alphabet. I have no idea. He kept getting lost at sea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a really good joke, too. Yeah. Is that to be tied to... Maryland, or was it no, just no, a funny sea just joke? Just a funny sea joke. Wow, that's a good one. We missed you giving the jokes. No, thank you. So, as mentioned by Mariah, today we'll be going over a case that happened in Maryland. This particular case takes place in Baltimore, Maryland in 1969. Today we will be going over the murder of Sister Catherine Chesnick. A little background on Sister Chesnick to begin. She was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1942. Her younger sister stated that Catherine was devoted and rather ambitious. She was very close with her sister, even after she felt that God called her out to become a nun. Not only that, she had a natural gift for teaching as well. When Catherine was 18, she left the Pittsburgh area for Baltimore so she could join the school, Sisters of Notre Dame, which after graduating and becoming a nun, she would go on to teach at Archbishop Keough High School. She wasn't happy at the school, and in 1969, at the age of 26, she knew she could do much more and took a job at Western High School. This is where she taught drama and English to 11th and 12th graders. The night of November 7, 1969 rolls around, and it was a pretty typical evening the way it began. Catherine left her apartment and roommate, Sister Helen Russell Phillips, to head to the Edmondson Village Shopping Center around 7.30 p.m., her roommate thought that she was heading out to run a few errands as well as buy her sister an engagement gift from what she could tell. One article I found said that Catherine had gone to Cattonsville Bank to cash a check for $255, which apparently was a regular routine for either Catherine or Helen, as either one of them would stop every second Friday to cash their paychecks. Then from there, she went to a bakery, and after that, we have no idea what actually happened to Catherine on that night. And at this point, this is in the 60s, right? 1969, yes. There's no cameras. So there's no way to track her or trace her movements. No, it would have been like, if there were, it would have been like very early cameras. But I don't think even at this time there were any cameras. It didn't mention anything of cameras or videos of her at all. So, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. As the next morning rolled around and Catherine had not returned back to the apartment, her roommate became very worried. Clearly, something went wrong from the night before. This sparked Helen to get help from a few friends, Reverends Peter McKeon and Gerald J. Koob. With their help, they were able to get in touch with local police to report Catherine missing. And around this time, I still believe that you actually have to know, like, police's phone numbers, like, to your stations. It wasn't a normal, 911 like, 911. had it been ruled out. Yeah. yeah, I know. You have to have your local station's full number memorized. Yeah, which is crazy to me. With reports of Catherine gone missing, it shook a lot of people. Mainly, it affected her students most. As most of her students really enjoyed her as a teacher, 
The article stated that she was always warm and energetic, always ready to engage with her students, writing musicals for them to perform on stage, or inventing games to encourage them to teach each other new vocabulary. These reasons, along with many others, were the main reason why a lot of her students were shocked to hear about her disappearance. Later on in the day of November 8th, Reverend McKeon found Catherine's car unlocked around 4.40 a.m., just about a block away from her apartment. When the police brought the car in, though, it was a very strange scene. Of course, the police found the box of bakery goods she had bought, but there were also leaves and twigs in the car. Police also found branches that were caught on the car's antenna, and a twig that was hooked with a yellow thread was found on the turn signal. Now, to me, this almost signifies that was the car placed there by whoever the perpetrator was, because there wouldn't be sticks and stuff after the fact, you know? So what police thought had happened was that Catherine may have gone into a wooded area as the car was only found one mile from a heavily wooded park called Leakin Park. Police, alongside their canine dogs and some civilians, searched throughout the park and around the city but came up empty as there was no trace of Catherine. On Sunday, November 9th, police set up an even larger search area around the city. This included 35 officers, along with five dog teams, and a large number of civilians. They knocked on doors, searched down alleys and abandoned buildings, along with parks and woods, and nothing came about. Well, to me, it almost seems like I would be searching all the woods and surrounding areas with trees and branches, and because most likely, she would not have put that there. She was going out to run like normal errands, not that it did not include sticks and trees and branches like to me that shows a sign that it wasn't her that was in that car with that stuff no i agree the next day police were still looking into leads and tips but stopped its large-scale search the head of the homicide squad said that there was no evidence of foul play in Catherine's disappearance and that they could find no evidence of violence of any kind either Okay, to me, this is when you do kind of like a backtrace. So if they're saying that they don't believe that there was any foul play, then why would she leave the baked goods that she went for? If she was getting an engagement gift for her her, sister, why would she leave that? Why was her car unlocked? Well, and then it takes me back to why was there trees and shrubs in her car? Yeah. That, to me, shows foul play. No, I agree with you 100%. But It shows that she left by not again... It shows that she left against her will. No, I agree. And apparently, from what they said, there was no signs of that at all. That just means the perpetrator was that good. Yeah, or someone she might have known. Yeah, that's true. Was another thing that I saw. On November 11th, detectives said that they had no reason to believe that Catherine was kidnapped on the night of the 7th. At this time, the police were still trying to piece together what happened during the two-hour gap of when she was last seen and when her car was last spotted. At 8.30 p.m., residents saw Catherine's car in her reserved parking spot, but then around 10.30 p.m., it was spotted illegally parked around the block, where it was later found by the Reverend. On that same night, another woman had disappeared, Joyce Helen Malecki, who was 20 at the time of her disappearance, left her home in Baltimore to go shopping and meet a friend for a date who was stationed at Fort Meade Army Base. The next day, November 12th, Joyce's car was found abandoned and unlocked in a vacant gas station parking lot. Her brother was the one who found the car, which still had the keys in the ignition, 
Everything she had bought from the grocery store was still in her car along with her glasses as well. There's just so many similarities. I would be putting them together so quickly. I mean, are they in the same county? Yeah, they're in the same. Oh, yeah. The Baltimore County. Huge red flag. Yeah. Then just one day later, on the day of November 13th, Joyce's body was found floating in the Tuxent River by two deer hunters that just so happened to be on the edge of Soldiers Park. So this was the second woman? This is the second woman. Okay. Which was a training area for Fort Meade. All while this was going on, police continued to check on leads regarding Catherine. So by training area, that means nobody outside of the base could have had access to that spot? Most likely not, no. But it could have been... It didn't really say if it was, like, open either. So she floated there? She might have. It never really said. She was just on the outside of where the base was. As the autopsy took place on November 14th for Joyce's body, it was revealed that she was stabbed and choked, along with her hands bound behind her with a cord. There was a sign of a struggle, and her death was determined either choking or drowning, and Catherine was still considered a missing person with no new leads. Why are these two ladies connected? It just so happened to be that Joyce was discovered with a black pair of high heels on, which also was what Catherine was wearing on the night of her disappearance. Like the same heels that she was wearing, they were actually Catherine's? So nowhere did it state if they were actually Catherine's shoes, but police believe that they actually did belong to Joyce. They just like coincidentally yeah, had they the same just, shoes. They never, they never stated that Catherine was wearing black heels. Her roommate said that she was just wearing black shoes. Oh, okay. But she never said if they were heels or not. It wasn't until January 3rd, 1970, when Catherine's body was found. Two hunters found her body in a remote area in Lansdowne in Baltimore County. Her body was partially hidden by an embankment and and snow covered, and was discovered about 100 yards from the 2100 block of Monumental Avenue. Wait, so this was how many months after she went missing? just under two. It's around two months after she went missing. So So she went missing in November... At the beginning of November, and her body was found at the beginning of January. So her body was decomposing. From what it sounds like, there was snow, so it might have, as we know, some people might know that it might freezing freeze it a little bit. Yeah, de- decomposition. So it never stated how decomposed it was, or if animals might have gotten to it or not. But police came out and said that her body was most likely carried, or she was forced to walk there as there was no way a car could have been driven from Monumental Avenue to where her body was found. It might have been tried, and that's maybe why there were twigs and stuff in her car. Which would then make sense, but then what Ding Dong would then go and leave the car with all of the trees and branches and stuff in the car. Yeah, I know. Not like, very smart, they just right? It out? Yeah. yeah. During the autopsy of Catherine, it revealed that she had a skull fracture to her left temple from a blunt instrument. Baltimore County Police took over the case which now went from a missing person to a homicide, which still remains open to this day. Catherine's is unsolved? You heard it first. Unsolved. From 1970 to 1977, Catherine's case was very active. Police were conducting many interviews and polygraphs. Any physical evidence from the scene was collected and preserved, although there was only very little evidence actually found at the scene. So neither woman was sexually assaulted, correct? From what it sounded like, no. And there was or from no... what I saw, no, there was no sexual assault at all. And so there was no DNA? We'll get there. 
Then sad news came for the case just after 1977. This is when police decided to have the case pretty much go cold, as there was little new information. Nothing new came around until about 1992. This is when Reverend A. Joseph Maskell, a Catholic priest, had been accused of sexual abuse from two former students at Archbishop Kiao High School. Of course, the Reverend denied any of the allegations against him. Then later in 1992, he was removed from his position of pastor at Holy Cross Church in South Baltimore due to the sexual abuse accusations. Oh my gosh, those are some large accusations. And to me, like the true crime side of me, it like spirals. Did somehow these women or did Catherine find out and... I don't know. It could have nothing to do, but did somehow Catherine find out and then he came after her? Again, that's just my true crime spiraling <laughs> on the case that probably that is not how it goes, but. Between the end of 1992 and the beginning of 1993, Maskell actually was in a psychiatric hospital that was in Connecticut before he returned to Baltimore in 1993 as he was found to have no physiological or sexual abnormalities. So was he cleared of all the charges? We'll get there. August 1993 rolls around and Maskell is named pastor again in Elkridge after the investigation did not find any sexual abuse, according to the church. In the spring of 1994, another student from the high school came out about Reverend Maskell and his sexual abuse ways. This time, there was a little bit more to the story that she had to tell. Not only did Reverend Maskell sexually abuse her, he also took this former student to see Catherine's body before it was found. Are you kidding? The one thing that I question in all of this is so he's sexually motivated to abuse these students, but he wasn't sexually motivated in the murders? From what it said, there was no sexual assault in the murders at all, from what I saw. It, it just seems like I too only, different. But I only dig, dug into Catherine's case. I didn't really dig into Joyce's case. Yeah, yeah. Then... Also, that she met another man in the reverend's office who apparently had beaten Catherine to death due to knowing about the alleged sexual molestation that was going on. I knew it. Yeah. Although this story sounded good, there were a lot of inconsistencies in her story. First off, she could not identify the man that she met in the reverend's office. Apparently, she was warned that she would suffer the same fate that Catherine did if she was to tell anyone what would happen. I mean, I think any person, male or female, would be scared if they were threatened like that and they had seen the body. Yeah. And the only thing that she really had was that she could provide details about Catherine's body that were only known to investigators at the time. Which, uh, that that's huge. It is. Massive. Not enough to convict anyone, though. Apparently. Yeah, not enough to convict Maskell. July 31st, 1994 is when Maskell leaves his parish in St. Augustine in Howard County to seek therapy after all the sexual abuse allegations that were now coming his way. At this time, he had around a dozen women who were accusing him of sexual abuse while he was a counselor at the high school. Now, it's women or at the time were these girls? Well, they were girls. Yeah, but, but now women. women now. Yes. Yeah. Also, just about each one of these women actually had spoken with Catherine at the time while she was alive about the sexual abuse. Like, they were, like, going to her, and this is how she found out about it. A $6,000 reward was offered by the Metro Crime Stoppers for information leading to the conviction of Catherine's killer. Then, at the end of 1994, police did not consider Maskell a prime suspect in Catherine's case, 
although he was interviewed for quite a while. It does seem like he had the means and the motive to do it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. April 1995 is when Catherine's case returns to being a cold case. Then on May 7, 2001, Maskell died at St. Joseph's Hospital when he was 62. Maskell was never criminally charged of sexual abuse. The Catholic Church in Baltimore actually paid settlements to 16 different people who accused Maskell of sexual abuse from starting in 2011. They started paying out, and they paid about just under like $500,000. That's a lot of settlement money for somebody who was not guilty. Yeah, $500,000 to 16 different people. It wasn't like to each one. Yeah, but that's a lot of money in the early 2000s. Yeah, it was 2011 is when they started paying it. To me, that shows that they knew he was guilty. Apparently, around this time, the Catholic Church in this area covered up a lot of things, from what I saw. Conspiracy theory. We'll go over it later. Okay. Then on February 28, 2017, Baltimore County Police exhumed Maskell's body to compare his DNA with some from the crime scene that was found in Catherine's case. Then on May 4, 2017, police started to see if Catherine's case was connected with any of the other cases that were cold in the area. They looked into the cases of Joyce Helen Malecki, Pamela Lynn Conyers, and Grace Elizabeth Montaigne. Now, nowhere could I see that confirmed that these murders were connected, but from a lot of theories I saw on it was that Catherine's case, Joyce's case, and Grace's case could have been connected. I did see somewhere that Pamela's case was actually getting closer to being solved and had nothing really to do with any of the other three cases as the person who is suspected of her murder has been named. Sadly, the other three cases remain cold. You are probably wondering if it is still cold and why is that when they most likely have their murder with Maskell? Well, that would be because on May 17, 2017, police would announce that the DNA found at the scene of Catherine's crime did not match DNA from Maskell. I mean, that doesn't mean that he didn't do a murder to hire. No, it doesn't. And it could have been the other guy that, that this girl met Had as well. Claimed. yeah. And we have no idea who he is because she didn't identify him. Now, that is the story of the murder of Sister Catherine Chesnick. If you would like to know a little bit more about Catherine's murder, I would recommend watching the documentary on Netflix called The Keepers which is all about her unsolved murder. And I also believe it goes into Joyce and Grace's as well. Because there's probably a lot of signs that they are connected. Yeah, and like I said, there's a lot of theories that I saw on them that they could be connected to from, because all three of these women apparently knew Reverend Maskell at some time. Like in some way or another. Whether, yeah, because I think one of them went to his parish, which is what they call him, I, I believe. Um, so he was the pastor of her church. Um, the other one I think lived close by. And then of course, Catherine worked at the same school with him. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to couple of criminals. We will see you back here next week where I will be reviewing a crime from Massachusetts until then. This is your couple of criminals signing off.